Uh, hey everyone, as Nate said, my name is Josh Williams. I'm excited that you're here today, thankful that you're with us. Uh, you guys have just been awesome. You know, when it like is sort of raining, when it like feels like it might rain, you guys are like, you know what we do? We just stay meeting outside. It's great. Uh, today I'm continuing a series called Grace on the Other Side. And I hope you've been tracking with what God is doing in this series. Uh, you know, as we find our way out of this pandemic, we need the grace of God, the gifts of God. Uh, to find ourselves on the other side of this through God's leadership. We've been looking at some scripture, trying to think what's another time in like the history of the people of God where they've been through a tremendous challenge and then they, they get on the other side of it. And we've said, okay, actually, let's look at the, the narrative of Exodus, you know, the journey of Moses and the people of Israel. And said so they've actually got on the other side of something, the other side of the Red Sea. And so we're trying to learn from them and see how we can apply it to our times here as we navigate through a challenging time, not just for us personally, but uh, for our city, our nation, and the world. We've learned about the grace of celebration on the other side. That when we get through any challenge, even if we see challenges to come, we can be people of celebration. We've learned about provision from heaven that happens on the other side, both of material needs. Daniqua preached on this about material needs we have and how God meets those, but also the provision of a story. This is what Matt talked about. The story that begins with, I am the Lord your God. Words from God to us say we are a people and we have a story. Both of these ways of provision ground us and center us. And last week we heard about the grace that we are called away from idolatry and into worship of the true and living God. This is where we've been together. This is grace on the other side. And we're going to talk about it for this week and next week before we conclude. Today I want to uh, share about two practices I believe these are gifts that God has given us and God has given the, the newly freed Israelites in the narrative that we've been following. It's the gifts of Sabbath and Jubilee. Sabbath, a path towards true rest in our lives and Jubilee, a path towards justice. This is also grace on the other side and I believe these practices can change us from the inside out through God's power. Now before we go deeper, I want to share a big why. Like, why do we need these practices? Why do we need this grace on the other side? Why do we need these gifts? And much of it has to do with the work Patrick led us in last week around idolatry. So I need to ask you all a question. Who here knows about algorithms? These powerful, oh, some people are like, yeah, I do. These powerful things called algorithms. You know, the basic definition is this. A set of uh, a process or a set of rules to be followed in calculations or other problem-solving operations, usually by a computer. It's true, but it's a little bit of a boring definition. We, we know this is a little bit spicier in our lives. You know, the biggest way we know about these algorithms are through social media. And a simple but powerful decision not to organize content by timeline, you know, oldest first or newest first, but by relevancy. Now, relevancy to who, right? Well, it's to you. Like, you're the customer. Like, you're the person, right? So with this little switch, we essentially have computers, technology, showing us what they think we want to see. And then we begin to click and click and click and click. And then we begin to see ourselves. Or at least we begin to see ourselves through our choices on these platforms. Now, uh, I have to admit, uh, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to social media, truly. I use Instagram basically to announce uh, uh, births of my children, so that's, I used it twice. Um, 
And then uh, sometimes to look at Elm City Vineyards page, if you like, is relevant for the work I do. And so to do that, even that small little act, I have to navigate the algorithm that Instagram has. And so this is where you want to check on, you know, one thing on Instagram, here for called IG, um, like the cool kids. But then you get lured into recommended pictures, recommended stories, GIFs, memes, the things that they think you will like. It's a dangerous world out there. And before I really used Instagram, I was in a kind of home group or Bible study settings where people uh, were talking to me about Instagram. They were like, yeah, man, I just had to delete IG. Like, that was crazy week. I set a social media timer so my like, you know, IG time would be a little bit navigated and you know, managed. My friend has my password to IG. I just can't be on it myself. And when I didn't know, I was like, what did IG do to you? Like, what's happening here? Like, what's going on that you guys are regulating this? And then I use Instagram for work, and I'm like, IG, I know you now. It's like, step the heck back from me and my family. Like, you need to be careful. No, I'm telling you off right now. You've got to go. I understand a little bit more. I just want to see the verse that Daniqua picked for Good News Tuesday. That's all I want right now. But IG is after my neck. You're messing up my flow. The truth is, once again, that these, uh, these algorithms are just mega amalgamations of our own desires, of our own clicks, of our own social world, all stacked together. It's a little bit like, you know, Transformers, like they're all stacked together, like ready to do something or maybe Power Rangers or whatever the like stacking cartoon is of the day. Maybe some of y'all know, I don't, I don't know the newest one, but whatever it is, things are stacked together and we're up against it. We're up against the algorithm when it comes to our lives with God, our life of worship. Here's the thing though. God has given us practices and habits before the beginning of the world before IG, social media, computers, anything was even a word that we spoke. He's given us habits to defeat even the most powerful algorithm and to connect us to God and to connect us to one another. It's really true. And this grace, God's generosity, is really, really good for us and to us. So that's, that's the big why. That's why we need the gift of the Sabbath. It's why we need the gift of Jubilee. Now, I'm going to be spending some time talking about these two things, mostly on Sabbath and a little bit on Jubilee, just to kind of connect the dots for us. But I've seen the power of these ancient paths in my own life. In 2012, Bill Elander, Bill, you can wave. I'd like to embarrass him. Wave. Nope, he's almost refusing. There he is. Woo, Bill Elander. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's our current spiritual formation pastor. And back then, he was a guest preacher for us. And he spoke on the love of God. Afterwards, he prayed over me. Hey, Zoe. That's my daughter. I, if, you, if you follow me on IG, that's one of my like four posts. Zoe. Uh, he spoke on the love of God. And afterwards, he prayed for me personally the words of Psalm 23. One of the verses says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. These words, along with the godly slowness of another saint in my life, Hallie Cohen, that some of you all know, used to work for a campus ministry that I was working for. They introduced me to this tantalizing possibility of rest in my life. You know, what if the wayward algorithms of our lives simply cannot stand when we tune in to God through these ancient practices? What if Sabbath, this act of rest, this life of rest, this choice that God gives us, what if it could connect us to God? And what if it's somehow connected to the work of Jubilee, celebration of freedom and justice? That's what we're going to explore together. 
as we engage Sabbath, as we engage Jubilee and see their connection at the very end of the talk, let's see what God has for us today. Let's pray. God, thanks so much that you do have a gift for us today, a gift of rest, a gift of celebration and freedom, a gift of ancient practices that you want to be ours today. Holy Spirit, come and have your way here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we look at the story of God and we look at the story that we're in of the Exodus, uh, Moses taking the people of Israel from slavery to freedom, we first see humans interacting with Sabbath through the provision of bread called manna that Daniqua talked about a few weeks ago. Bread, when people were hungry, didn't know what they were going to eat. It came down from heaven and people picked it up. They could eat it, bake it, share it with others. Except God said, there'll be one day where there's no manna that comes down from heaven. There's no manna that will come down and be provided. So you actually have to get twice as much the day before. We're going to do that so there'll be seven days and only one of them will be one where you don't work this Sabbath day of God, this rest. And Moses instructs his people in this way in Exodus chapter 16. And it says this, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. We see here a critical verb, given. The people were given the Sabbath. It's not just a day on the calendar. It's a gift that God gave to them. And we already see that this day of rest is regular. It's every seven days. We see that it requires some planning. People have to prepare for that day to work a little bit earlier in order to rest on that day. We see that it involves limitation and rest. Don't go other places. Don't travel far. Stay where you are and rest. This practice might seem familiar if we know something about the beginning of God's story. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, tells of this creation story that was wondrous and glorious. And after these six days of creation, the Lord rested on the seventh day. On the seventh day, there was enjoyment. There was contentment that accompanied God's work. Sometimes things are so good, you have to behold them. Things are so rich, you have to stop and say, Ooh, that's beautiful. That's amazing. I love it. Even if it's your own work, you've got to step back and say, yes, God. I think maybe God did that to, you know, God's self. Like, yes. It's like, you know, you're just talking about yourself. He, he did it. He did it. Anyway, you've got to enjoy things when you create them, when you work. Later on, we see the story of grace on the other side, the provision of manna. And this seventh day of rest, it became institutionalized when God gave the law, the commandments that we see, commandments that kept the people of God living freely, celebrating freedom, not people who are enslaved. And this commandment goes like this. We're going to pick up in Exodus 20. It's verse 8, if you want to follow along. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien residents in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Sabbath, this blessed 24-hour period where there is no work, there is no toil, and the day is meant to rejuvenate and to restore. Remember the context here. These people were enslaved. 
They could not determine when they would work or rest. And I'm not sure if rest was even a word for them. It was just not working in the same way because they were enslaved. They were told what to do by an overlord, by a boss. Forced work was all they knew. Sabbath, this time of rest, must have been abnormal, weird. It could have felt wrong, selfish even. Why are we not working? We used to work for an overlord, but now we can at least work for one another. But God had something different for them. It was called rest. After the trauma of slavery, the Lord wanted to restore their identity through the gift of the Sabbath. This is relevant to us because we are too a traumatized people. We have gone through the trauma of COVID and we are not out of it yet. There are many other things you could even think about here, ways that you might have experienced trauma personally because of the group you belong to. But I want to point out just to the collective trauma that we've had enduring COVID together. The Lord wants to restore our identity as grace on the other side, especially as work has been malformed for our essential workers working in far more dangerous ways than we could have anticipated in situations where oftentimes we didn't have control over what we were doing. And yet we were working, working, working for our working from home tribe. Work is literally spilled out into every room of your house. Yes, even that one. We know it, it happened that one day. And all times of the day as well. Work has been malformed in our lives. And the Lord wants to speak words of restoration to us through the trauma, in the trauma. He wants to say to us, my child, you're more connected to your toilsome work than my good creation. My child, go back to the beginning and rest with me because I want your six days to be good, to be free, your six days of work. My child, give up any toil once again and Rest and reset with me, breaking off any ways you've been living as an enslaved person. Enjoy my Sabbath. The Lord wants to speak those words over us, to give us an identity beyond any stamp that this pandemic has given us. He wants to give us back something that, yes, we can look to in the beginning, this kind of good creation, but also it's where we're going, our forever home in heaven, where there will not be the same kind of toil. The Lord wants to reset and be with us. There's three main points I want you to remember about the Sabbath. The first is this. Sabbath is corrective. In this broken world, we need the Sabbath to help us remember that we are free, not people who are enslaved. I say that again and again, and I will keep saying that because we might not identify as strongly with that. The words might be too shocking, but when we look at our lives, we have to ask, are we free people or are we enslaved are we working on deadlines that no one even told us to do? Ways of performing that are just kind of illusions in our mind. Or is there a very real overlord in our lives? We know their name. And they're not asking us to do godly work, but work that is simply too much for us. So Sabbath is corrective. Second, Sabbath is restorative. It restores you back to the beginning when we rest because work has been good, not simply because we are so tired. Rest because the work has been good, not because we're so tired we simply cannot move on. It also helps us long for and anticipate the rest to come, like I said before, in heaven, our forever home that we're anchored to. And lastly, the third point is Sabbath is yours, but it is also ours. Sabbath is something that we do choose individually. We have agency in what we do with the Spirit, and yet Sabbath is for all of us. It's a corporate time of rest, a corporate practice of rest. God wants us to have a 
understanding that the Sabbath is something we enter into collectively that has incredible power when we do it all together. Every week in our city, we can see that power uh, as we see our Jewish brothers and sisters coming together to celebrate a collective Sabbath. We see how uniting it is when we decide not to Sabbath exclusively as individuals, but to join our rest with one another. I'd like to share a few of these points just in a testimony, a testimony of my own story, getting to know and love the Sabbath, where I've seen all three of things, three of these things play out in my life. You know, when I first started taking a Sabbath in 2012, inspired by Bill Elander and Hallie Cohen and some other people in my life and started to realize I needed to do this, you know, I had acquired a pace of life through Yale College, through Yale Divinity School, through some extracurriculars, through some ministry that was simply completely unsustainable. Some of y'all know that. Some of y'all are there yourselves. Some of y'all have been there. When you've just lived in a way, you're like, how did I even do that? Like, that was crazy. Like, am I okay? Like, really? Like, is everything fine? I'm not sure. I would crash hard into my Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath literally acted like a test site. You know, the crash dummy thing, if you guys have seen that, where it's like, it was like a test course where, you know, the, sa- the, sa- the safety belt was the Sabbath for me. It was like, boom, and it's crashed into it. Like, it was like going from 100 to zero. And I was like, that was absolutely insane. Like, how did I, like, what's going on in my life? The Sabbath basically laughed back at me as I tried to embrace its quiet from a place of loudly screaming all the time. Like the Sabbath said, you know, that's not like, we don't have to scream here. Like, you don't have to go so fast. Like this like jerk that you feel, that's not me. That's you like, like not slowing down. And so it was crazy, but the Sabbath did that work of correction for me. And during this time, the Sabbath acted as a a mirror, showing me how distorted my life was. And this was probably the hardest time to Sabbath. And it'd be the easiest time to quit because part of the feedback was, what are you doing? Why are you trying to live your life this fast and this crowded? Are you okay? And it didn't feel good all the time to be asked those questions. I was like, but I need to. But there's something new. But I just want to go this fast because it feels good. I like adrenaline. And Sabbath said, no. Slow down. It was a, forming a, a new life-giving habit. But that life-giving habit did work to show me how death was at work in me. And if you read the Exodus story closely, that's really what God says to Moses. Like, you've got to practice this, otherwise you're going to die. Just like I think people died when they were enslaved in Egypt. Because working that way kills. It can be deadly. I experienced the death of this life as an exercise in performance, doing the most, trying to do the best, no rest for the weary. If you grew up in a household where this was modeled because of your parents being high achievers or maybe not being high achievers and you said, I'm not going to live that way. Maybe it's that your parents or your household ascribed to an immigration dream narrative or because of perceived injustice, you knew you just had to work harder. You need a corrective Sabbath. You know, growing up for me, it was, you will work twice as hard for half as much. So work twice as hard. And that was because I'm black. You know, shout out to my dad in the back. You know, it's true. We've talked about this. Adult relationships are challenging, but good with kids and adults. But to be very honest, in my life, I found that statement surprisingly true for me and for folks who look like me. But I've also found it to be one of the deadliest lies I've ever believed. And Sabbath sends that lie straight to hell, where it needs to be. It was a powerful thing to reject those lies by believing in God, in God's goodness. 
As I kept leaning into the Sabbath as correction, I noticed something. It's that second point of restoration. I noticed that I was restored as a human being. I noticed the natural beauty around me. Look around. Look at this green. Look at the beauty that God has given us. But if you're walking through here with a mission, you'll never see it. If you're walking through here just wanting to get something to achieve, you won't notice and behold what's around you. I noticed that I actually enjoyed a less frantic pace of life. I even noticed I liked the nature of my work, not just getting it done, but the nature of my work. I even liked difficult work, but I didn't want that difficult work to kill me anymore or to be mine without fully choosing it. For me, the biggest difference has been in noticing things deeply on my Sabbath that I now notice all the time as I live unhurried or try to do so. And God speaks powerfully during these times in ways that I remember. I remember when I lived in Kensington, a neighborhood in our city, I was trying to do a practice of Sabbath. I went to Edgewood Park, which was about a mile from where I lived, and I, I walked down into Edgewood Park, going down the stairs, and I felt the Lord say, as you descend into this park, you're descending into my peace. You're descending into uh, this place I have for you called rest. So walk in that rest. Be in this place of being held. And I walked through the park experiencing that. And I thought, this is so good. And if you know where I live now, I live about five minutes from that same park. And I do that walk. I try to do it almost every day. And something that was a gift on the Sabbath for me became something that's now an everyday thing that I just remember, oh, this is the park that God has gifted me with. And I would have only heard that, been attached to that if I was listening that one day on my Sabbath. Sometimes God starts with deep work, deep work for our Sabbath. But then we end up feasting off that work as just a daily snack. And that's what growth looks like. You know, I probably heard that somewhere between 2012 to 2014. And now that's not the fresh work of God on my Sabbath. It's the work I get to enjoy every time I just step foot in that park. The Sabbath builds us up and teaches us that rest is an everyday reality, even as we get challenged still every week to live in a Sabbath rest. And lastly, I've been challenged to join my Sabbath to others. My Sabbath was Monday for a long time, which I absolutely loved. You know, uh, Sunday, you know, for me is the end of a work week. You know, so I'm almost done with it now. Turn up, let's go. Uh, so I was like, Monday, staff is like, yeah, let's go. So Monday felt like, okay, this is good. But then I noticed something. Like Monday was also my day, like without uh, my wife, who was often working, you know, on those days or in school those days. It was also my, the day my kids were in school. So I was like enjoying life by myself. I was like, yeah, turn up. Woo, this is amazing. Wait, where's my, where's my family? Like, where's, where, where are my people? And I realized that uh, Tina, who sat by the Saturday, it would be powerful to join her in that. Costly for me, but powerful. And indeed, it has been costly. Like, there's a way that the quality of my Sabbath has kind of gone down a little bit in terms of my own enjoyment. But that's different than what Sabbath truly is. I've also been joined with my family more. And that happened just a few months before the pandemic. And then all of a sudden, Saturdays became a time, uh-oh, we're doing like live stream edits and what are we doing? And there's this thing going on in our city. But I got to have this boundary of, yes, we have to either prepare earlier or some things might need to be decided Sunday morning because there's this actual boundary of a Saturday Sabbath for me as I joined work with others and my family and also joined staff in a different way of like, hey guys, we've got to decide to do things earlier or we're going to decide some things on Sunday because we have a corporate kind of boundary during our life together. We have to think about how our Sabbath can join us to one another. So I have some questions for you as we kind of think about this Sabbath and then we'll move briefly into Jubilee before we close. So it's these three questions. How could Sabbath, a 24-hour period of rest and renewal, 
help correct some of the ways that you've been malformed through work, maybe especially during this pandemic? How can it correct? Second is, how could Sabbath help restore you and connect you back to the goodness of creation and even the goodness of the work that you're resting from, right? It's going to be good for your rest, but also it's going to connect you. It's going to connect you to the beauty of the work you do, hopefully. Sabbath isn't against work. It's for good, good work. And lastly, how could Sabbath help be a way that you express your own need for rest individually, but how could you also join others? So Sabbath isn't an isolation from others, but Sabbath can actually help join you in with a group, whether that's your family, whether that's people who are your friends, the work of the city. doesn't mean they have to be Sabbathing with you necessarily, but how can it connect you to others? So in my remaining time, I just want to briefly connect the work of Sabbath rest to the work of Jubilee, a celebration of freedom and justice. I want to go back to Scripture because Scripture makes this connection itself. Uh, We're going to look at uh, an account. Uh, It's actually in the book of Leviticus, so we're skipping ahead just a tiny bit. It's in chapter 25, and it's uh, something the Lord said to Moses on one of his Mount Sinai trips where he heard from the Lord. Verse 1. And this is going to be a little long, so follow me here, and you can follow along in the Scripture if you want. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Hey, Zoe. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath. You, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you, for your livestock also, for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. Now we get to the subtitle of the year of Jubilee. Verse 8. You shall count off seven weeks of years, Seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. Love when the Bible does math, right? Then you shall have the trumpet sound loud on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall have the trumpet sound throughout all your land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year. You shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property, and every one of you to your family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. So like I said, scripture makes this connection for us. Sabbath, God's gift of rest for us, is connected to jubilee, God's gift of freedom for us. This is a kind of freedom for those who are captive and those who are in debt because there's a shaking, a letting loose, a proclamation of freedom and release for them. It's like what public justice looks like throughout society. Sabbath, we see, is once a week, right? But then there's also this once every seven years things, which is this sabbatical. And then it's a time for land to completely rest. And then a sabbatical times, what is it? Seven gives us the year of Jubilee. So it's kind of like, you know, Sabbath and rest and Jubilee become their own sort of stacked car that goes up against the social media algorithm. Remember the algorithm at the beginning? It's like its own kind of thing. Or if you maybe like Pokemon, Sabbath evolves into like sabbatical, and sabbatical's final form is the year of Jubilee. Some of y'all like Pokemon, I saw. Now here's what's interesting about this evolution. To me, it's like very, very interesting. Catch this. 
It suggests that when we create a life of rest on a weekly basis, and then an every seven year basis where we step into a deeper rest somehow for us and for the people around us, then essentially we have a lifetime of that. That lifetime is what looks like public justice. A weekly practice, kind of a seven year sabbatical, and then this 50 year, it looks like public justice. If you're confused, here's how I think we get there kind of in a more theological way. When we rest, we see more clearly how God loves humanity, how much God loves humanity, starting with us. We feel and experience God's love. We start to see also that God's deepest longing for humanity is that we dwell with God, is that we rest with God. Not in a place of work, not in a place of ministry, not in a place of any of our uh, sacred idols like social justice or hospitality or anything that would involve this kind of work and practice. We just are with God and it's good. And we start to see more clearly when we Sabbath the ways that we're entangled still in sinful toil. As we rest from it, we notice, wow, there's something that's different here as I lay that down. We also see the way that we entangle others in sinful toil and the way that simply doing better individually won't get us out of this. Just like doing something good we think up on our Sabbath won't get us out of this sinful toil system that we have. Ultimately, we realize that we need a year of jubilee to reset our neighborhoods, to reset our city, to reset our nation, to reset our world. That's what we realize from taking the time to be with God on our Sabbath and step into the deeper work year after year after year. Becoming people of Sabbath corrects our overworking. It restores us as human beings beyond toil, and it connects us to others in the Sabbath. But we can become people of Jubilee because if our Sabbath is genuine, it cannot do anything but lead us to more Jubilee freedom. When we realize that one of the blocks to join others in Sabbath is that some of our people, some of our neighbors, some people that we share this city with, they cannot stop working. They cannot stop working in order to earn a very basic income. They cannot stop working because they do not experience themselves as free due to conditions akin to slavery. They cannot stop working because they do not know a free God that invites us all to rest through the Sabbath. Part of our work on our Sabbath is to become unhurried enough to be the people of Jubilee. So many of us know people, maybe even we are those people who try to bring Jubilee this public justice, without being people of rest. We've seen that. We've done that ourselves. It doesn't work. We cannot begin to join God in promoting freedom for others when we are not free ourselves. We must become people of Sabbath in order to receive the gift, the blessing to become people of Jubilee. I want to share two little things before we wrap up. One is, there are two wrinkles, because what I see in ECV is a community that's practicing Sabbath. We're, we're, we're daring to love the Sabbath as a community that's often in a fast-paced world. We've kind of etched it in as a, a habit we want to grow in. But Jubilee, I think, is an aspiration for us. We're trying to see, what will that look like? What does it mean? So I just want to share a few thoughts, if that's okay. Then we'll wrap up. Sabbath as I just told you, it's not a purely individual invitation, and neither is Jubilee. It's a corporate one. The people of Israel practice this together, not just as an individual act of charity, not just an individual act of woke justice-making. It's more than just our individual virtue. It's a corporate act. 
And right now there's kind of a question of, well, who are we corporate with? Like, how are we the body together? Because we can see nations do this work. You know, you probably know some of you guys that are more into public policy. There's, you know, nations that say, hey, let's do a jubilee thing. Let's do this jubilee act. Like, you know, European nations saying, let's do jubilee for nations in Africa, which is something that has been done. Or you see maybe a challenge that someone like China could say, let's release debt and help these nations in Africa, right? These two examples, one that's happened before and one that people are kind of asking and pressuring China to do. But in some ways, if we want nations to do that, this jubilee will kind of be doomed. God asks his people to jubilee, to do jubilee, not just nations. God wants us to do jubilee as a corporate group, as the body. But if we do not know where we're placed in that body, how would we do that? We need to get on our knees and pray, God, how am I called to join other people to do this work of jubilee? How am I called to join the church Elm City Vineyard. How is Elm City Vineyard called to join the Church of New Haven? How is the Church of New Haven called to join the Church of Connecticut? And you know already, right, the church is not good at this stuff. We're not good at joining others to do this work of jubilee. Sometimes it's hard for us even to do a a joint worship night. I won't get into jokes about that because I'd be here, you know, a long time, but we need some help being together. There's another question of you know, if you read Leviticus 25, which I encourage you to, you'll see many, pract- many ways of practicing jubilee that looks like releasing, releasing land, releasing animals, releasing indentured people. And it might not seem relevant to 2021. So how do we follow the spirit to practice jubilee now? I think that's a great question. You know, the words of Jesus introduce this uh, deeper wrinkle because he says the year of the Lord's favor in one of the famous passages in Luke 4. It's the year of the Lord's favor. And that means it's the year of jubilee. But that would mean that 2020 was a year of jubilee. I don't think a lot of people experience jubilee in it, or even just good things, right? It means that 2019 is a year of jubilee. 20, 2018, that 2021 is. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we see jubilee when we look around? And I'm not going to resolve any of these tensions because I can't. Because we need to seek God together around them. Like I said, we've done the work of being people that have kind of gone closer to the Sabbath but I feel like we're just becoming people that can think more about Jubilee. We're actually going to do a series uh, in two weeks. It's exploring some of these questions through the lens of the kingdom. We'll actually start with Luke 4. So I'm going to not resolve that tension, but we are going to come back to it in two weeks. But what we can do now is point the way. That we first need to become people of the Sabbath, to commit once again to that, so we can dare to become people of Jubilee. So here's some practical invitations for us. Number one. Notice how this pandemic has malformed your relationship to work and other people in their work unto you. So think about that. Two, dare to take a Sabbath. To actually think when in your life you can take 24 hours to rest. And remember, we do things at ECV as we can, not as we can't. So if you're like, Josh, I only have 23 hours and 30 minutes. You, you got it. Just bless that, right? If you're like, okay, no, realistically, it's 12, like, do, you're fine. Just do it as you can right now, not as you can't, and then grow, mature, see what you can do later on. And remember that in Sabbath, we find time to pause, to just wait before God, to be present to what God is doing in us, to play, to recreate, to have time with fun and friendship, and to pray, to actually intentionally connect with God that day. And the only tip I'll give you is to watch your screen time as usually screens disengage us rather than engage us. But that's a rule of thumb for anything on your Sabbath. If it disengages you from yourself, from other people, from God, probably not something you want to do on your Sabbath. If it engages you, 
And that is good work. And lastly, pray. Pray to discover the work of Jubilee in your life. I really think that's the next step for us that we have as a community. That's why I wanted to, to say all that and to leave you with the tension. Because I think God's doing that in our midst. And we need to learn from what God is doing. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to take communion together now and then experience musical worship in a second.